Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Ross. Lots of things going on in technology this week. AMD is making a, a major push to put out better technology than Intel. The... Um, the heat, the heated battle is on. I'll sort of lay that out. And we're also going to feature, by the way, because it seemed apropos this week, the man who started AMD as a direct competitor of Intel. We're also going to talk a bit about the CEOs of Microsoft, Satya Nadella. He is the CEO of Microsoft. I'm going to talk about his, um, his sort of management principles because he actually turned Microsoft around, has made a huge impact on Microsoft, and they're now very competitive with, with Google and with all of the other Silicon Valley companies. Uh, we'll also talk a bit about that Chinese threat that ah. keeps coming up. It keeps coming up more and more and more and more, and we'll look at how fake reviews peaked on Amazon <laughs> around Prime Day, and we'll talk about how you can how you can detect those fake reviews so you can, you know, see whether you want to trust what you're going to trust. And, of course, this week we're going to feature on Profiles in IT, Walter Sanders. He's uh, known as the co-founder and longtime CEO of Advanced Micro Devices, AMD, the chip maker that's competing with Intel. And, of course, we had a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. We got an email from VJ in Germantown. <clears throat> Dear Doc and Jim, I just bought a new iPhone and would like to listen to music and be able to do hands-free phone calls. I have a 2007 Ford and a 2009 Lexus. I can't figure out how to connect my phone to the car audio system. Where's the Bluetooth? How can I make this connection? Love the podcast, VJ in Germantown. Well, let's talk about Bluetooth. The Bluetooth standard was originally conceived by Dr. Jap. Carson in at Ericsson back in 1994. It was named after the renowned Viking king who united Denmark and Norway. He had a false tooth, so they called him Bluetooth because it was kind of blue. Uh, but Bluetooth didn't start penetrating the car market until 2010. That we was, talked about this once. We, but yeah, you we didn't did. get into the Bluetooth, the false tooth part. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> so it and so they, but Bluetooth didn't really penetrate the uh, the car market till 2010. It takes about 20 years for technology to migrate out to consumer markets. So that's a typical delay time. So your cars are 2007, 2009. You're not going to have Bluetooth. They're, they just started in 2010 getting some Bluetooth in the cars. By 2012, most of the new models had Bluetooth. But sorry, VJ, your cars do not have Bluetooth. Now, you've got an option. You could <clears throat> you could replace the radio that has a Bluetooth uh, 
that has a Bluetooth signal, and you could just do that. But that's expensive, and I don't think it's worth it. So there's a workaround, a cheap workaround that, that I would recommend. You can get a Bluetooth to FM converter. And what this does is it, it hooks to your, it attaches to the Bluetooth signal on your cell phone, and then it sends out a radio, an FM radio signal, like, like a radio transmitter, on a particular frequency. And then you tune your FM radio to that frequency, and then all the sound from your iPhone goes straight into your car audio system. It really works uh, great. Now, when you want it, you can tune it. You, you can tune these devices for any frequency, and then you all that just has to match with where the radio is tuned. I would rec. You get the lowest noise reception if you tune them at the lower end of the spectrum. You know, one end of the spectrum is around 88 megahertz. The other end of the spectrum is 107 megahertz. So I would pick a frequency around 88 megahertz for better reception. Now, I actually haven't used one of these devices, but they're so cheap. I went ahead and ordered one and tested it out this last weekend just to see just to see what it would work. I didn't want to I didn't want to recommend something to you that I hadn't really tried out. Plus you like stuff. And I like to play around with stuff. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. So I went to Amazon and I got the Nuloxy Bluetooth FM transmitter, N U L A X Y, Nuloxy Bluetooth FM transmitter KM18. Now they've got a whole different, you know, a lot of models. But I got the one with the, the fewest bells and whistles because all you need is this simple converter. You don't need you don't need to have USB imports or anything else. But I did get a model that had two USB charging ports because this unit plugs into your cigarette lighter. You plug it into the cigarette lighter. So if you're using your cigarette lighter to charge your iPhone, it's not going to work. So this has two charging ports right built into it. So you can you can charge two phones uh, using the same cigarette lighter. Uh, connection that you that you have in your car, I configured this thing in less than five minutes, and the Pandora music sounded perfect. It came right through. I, I love Pandora, and then uh, when I answered and when an incoming call came, I simply pushed the button on this device, and the call immediately went through the audio system in the car, and uh, I could talk on it, you know, hands free. The, the music automatically turned off. And when the call ended, the music started again. This device, VJ, was only $21. Wow. So I'm telling you, VJ, that's the device for you. You got you want to get this, and it got great reviews. I ordered it, it got, you know, lots and lots of reviews. So uh, I highly recommend this device. So you will be able to get Bluetooth in both of your cars without a problem. We got an email from John in Kansas. Dear Tech Talk, I finally move from yahoo mail to gmail yay oh that's very good john that uh, that's a much better choice but how can i transfer all my yahoo emails to the new account i got lots of history that i want to preserve love the show john in kansas and, and yahoo doesn't really make this transfer easy well john gmail has a built-in migration tool that's offered by shuttle cloud that lets you import everything from an old mailbox for free now shuttle cloud usually charges a fee but if you do this migration within Gmail, it's free for you, even though Shuttlecloud costs money. So to get started, log into your Gmail account where you want to migrate all your old emails to, and then you click that little cog, that little settings cog on it, and you'll and then you'll come, you'll see something called accounts and import. Click on that, and then you click on import. And then there's another tab that says import mail and contacts. Click on that, and then you click on accounts and import and uh, you enter the email address that you want to migrate emails from and then click continue. 
Then you've got to sign into your other email account, of course, which means you're giving actually uh, Gmail the the um, credentials for your other account. And then you click yes, and then you simply tell them you do you want to start, do you want to e- import the contacts? Do you want to co- import only the email or only the contacts? Or do you, you pick what you want to import, and you just say start import, and um, and it'll and when it finishes, you just click OK. Now, depending on how many emails you have, John, it could take a couple of hours, it could take fifteen minutes, or it could take two days, just depends how much you got wow. there. But uh, enjoy that migration tool because it's free of charge. We got, we <laughs> That's got an the e- best price. That is, that is the best price. We got an email from Linda in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Dear Doc and Jim, my friend has told me I need to force close all the apps on my phone when I to keep it running faster and to save battery life. Is it true? Or is that just an old myth? Just checking. Linda in Myrtle Beach. Well, there is a persistent belief that you have to actively manage your mobile apps and use the force close function to shut them all down much like you close an application on a desktop computer like Word before launching a game. But when you're not using an application on your phone, it's basically suspended in time and just waiting for you to come back. It doesn't matter if you're using an Android phone or an iPhone or Windows phone. All the mobile platforms work more or less the same. Closing the smartphone apps all the time makes your smartphone work harder because then when you it takes more energy to open it up again. Really? So letting them hang in the background is, you know, over long, just just really more efficient. Huh. Um, so it doesn't really matter, and if and it takes actually less energy if you just leave them leave them open instead of closing, force closing them and opening them right away again. Now there could be apps that actually are that you do use energy if they're if they're working in the background, like you've got email apps that actually check check for your email and download new email. That those actually take energy and they work in the background. You may have other apps that actually have GPS on them. So if apps that work in the background will take energy, and so force closing those is probably better because then you save you save on your energy. We got an email from Mark in Richmond. Dear Tech Talk, I have a very important question. How much is Facebook's cut on all the money that's donated to charity when they honor somebody's birthday? Have you ever noticed this? They want you to donate to charity in honor of your birthday. That, that thing keeps coming yeah. up to people. Mm-hmm. Well, I... Uh, Mark said, I've heard they keep about half of it. Is that true? That'd be illegal in my opinion. I'd like to know the answer to this because I've made several donations in the recent past, Mark and Richmond. Well, luckily, the person that gave you that information about keeping half is terribly wrong. In reality, Facebook doesn't keep a single penny of the charitable contributions that are made through their website. If you click to... If you click on the donations to a charitable organization link on this page, you'll see that Facebook doesn't charge any fees at all when donations are made to a qualified charitable organization. Now, they do charge a small fee when somebody runs a personal fundraiser because they're not a qualified charitable organization, like running a fundraiser to do anything, to take a vacation. Sometimes people do right. that. Okay, so they go charge— Go fund me. Yeah, go, yeah go fund me. And so— if it's not a qualified charity, they charge a small fee, but the, the purpose of the fee just covers Facebook's expenses, and it's not really uh, exorbitant. It's fair in both cases. So I think uh, Facebook's program for charitable contributions is pretty good. Huh? I wouldn't worry about it. We got an email from Yaul Sarkas in San Diego. Dear Richard, hello, how are you? Love the, sh- live, yeah, love the show. I've been listening for a few years religiously. You've got a lot of great information. I have two questions. First... My church would like to broadcast or stream our Mass every Sunday. I don't have the time to sit there and start up the recording and then load it to YouTube or Facebook. 
is there an IP camera that we can purchase and do this automatically huh. on, any, on any given time without buying or babysitting it and mounting it and setting it up and streaming it? Then my second question is, um, I've got a Google Wi-Fi at home and love it. The only problem is it's on a different network than, than I have on my wired network. And my wired network has its own uh, firewall and router. And these have two different network names, and I can't see through the router, so I can't stream video to my TV because they're on different networks. Can I combine them into one network so they can see each other and work together? Uh, thanks for taking these questions on the show. Well, let's talk about your Wi-Fi first. You can cascade two routers. What you have to do is plug your wired network into the cable router and the Google Wi-Fi into the same Ethernet switch as the cable router. So you, you just basically are cascading the two routers, and you can merge them into one network by plugging the wire network into, the, into Google Wi-Fi. When both of them, when you cascade, you're going through two firewalls, and you're going through two network address translation servers, NAT servers, which, which slow things down a little bit. But in your case, I don't think it'll make much difference. I've, I've cascaded two routers before quite easily. They're all on one network. They work, up, they work perfectly. Now, the only issue is that if you want to, say, open a port to a particular device that's on, um, say, the second firewall, you're going to have to open the port in both firewalls at the same time. And in one case, you're going to have to forward the port. The next place, you'll have to forward the port to the, to, the, uh, to the location of the second router and then forward the second router's port to the device itself. So you, it's a little bit more configuration if you're doing port forwarding. Other than that, you can put them together without any problem at all. Now, let's talk about your church thing. Now, as for, as for your church, the easiest way, you could use Periscope or Facebook Live. Yeah. You know, it's quick and dirty. You need to be mindful that most church music is copyrighted. Oh, that's a good point. And broadcasting it uh, is outside of the fair use carve-out. Now, this gives a simple... Now, and so <clears throat> you may be breaking some copyright laws when you do this, but, you know, if it's if it's for the church, you could just... I don't know. I don't know what would happen with I, that. <laughs> it probably... Well, I don't know. That's a good question. You, they, you could probably get permission. I would say the church could get permission because they're not making money on the broadcast. Now, this is a simple, single angle of view. You simply employ a wireless mic for everyone who speaks because good sound is more important than good video. You've got to have good sound. So you want everybody who speaks needs a wireless mic because if you expect the pickup to come on your, uh, on your Periscope or Facebook feed from your device, it's going to be too far away. So you want a wireless mic set up. You plug the mics directly into the camera or that you're using. Uh, you could use an iPad for for streaming video. That would be okay. Now, there's also a turnkey operation for streaming services for churches called DaCast. Now, DaCast offers a well-rounded, comprehensive service at competitive price. Smaller churches will gravitate to the starter plan, but will receive the same great features as larger churches larger churches on the premium plan. Now, this is actually a pretty good deal. The starter plan is $19 a month and includes 100 gigabytes of bandwidth and 20 gigabytes of storage. The pro plan is $165 a month, and the premium plan is $390 a month. So I'd suggest you take a look at the church and maybe go for this starter plan because they have a lot of features that make it very easy to, you know, to stream and store your church services. Listen, and we love I you. Wonder, I, I yes. wonder if when you do that, if you, if they get around some of the copyright, I wonder if, what, if that's what some of the money is all about, that you're paying for that, if that I, helps to 
I don't. Th- I don't think they're getting around copyright there. Oh, but what they're doing, they're storing it on their own, the, on their own storage, rather than uploading it to YouTube. Yes. If you upload it to YouTube, they'll block the audio because they've yes. got algorithms that detect copyrighted music. SoundCloud operates the same way. If you put together something that's got a piece of licensed music in it, it'll figure it out as well. It'll figure it out. And so what it is is that to to get around this, you're basically renting your own storage, storing your own video, and then. Nobody except but the, the man is, but still the a violation. The man upstairs of, knows what uh, you're doing. The man upstairs knows you're doing. Knows but, what you're doing. But you're still violating copyright rules, yeah, regardless yeah. as to which method you're using. You're still violating the copyright rules, but you're getting around it. So I don't know if it's for church. Maybe it's okay. I I'm wonder, not. I'm not really. Too I think certain I need to look that. into the legal precedent here while oh, during the course of next week. Yes, I think we're going to have to do that. Okay. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as fast as we can. It's Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2, on the web at stratford.edu, and Federal News Radio. Make that federalnewsnetwork.com. You can watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Walter uh, Jeremiah Sanders. Walter Jeremiah Sanders is best known as co-founder and longtime CEO of the American Semiconductor Manufacturer Advanced Micro Devices, AMD. Hmm. Jerry Sanders was born September 12, 1936, and grew up on the south side of Chicago. He was raised by his maternal grandparents. And then he had an experience in college that really, uh, really changed his outlook on life. Yeah, at bet. 18, while at college... He came to the aid of a friend who was being beaten up by several young thugs. The friend took off, and Sanders was kicked and punched and dumped into a garbage can. He was in a coma for three days. He was actually given the last rites. I thought he was going to die. But he did recover, and um, 
And this this uh, really this experience influenced really how he managed later on. In 1958, he received a bachelor's of science in electrical engineering from the University of Illinois. He had gotten a full academic scholarship from the Pullman Railroad Car Company to go to school. After graduation, he went to work for McDonnell Douglas Company. He eventually moved to Motorola and then to Fairchild Semiconductors. In the late 50s and 60s, Fairchild was the hottest company in the tech scene. It was led by Robert Noyce, who was only in his 30s. Now, Jerry Sanders was a young Fairchild salesman, and he was taken under the wing by Noyce. Sanders was cocky, outrageous, and clever, and he was always getting in trouble. And Noyce protected him because he was so good at selling and at marketing. Then in 1968, when Fairchild was faltering, Noyce decided to leave Fairchild. So he and Gordon Moore, who were both co-founders at Fairchild, left Fairchild to start another company called Intel. And they brought along Andy Grove as their first employee. Now that left Jerry Sanders without his protector there at Fairchild. Now in 68, Fairchild brought in a new management team led by Lester Hogan, who was then a VP at Motorola. Now, Lester Hogan was a by-the-book guy. He didn't like flamboyance. He was very systematic and all that. And the new team immediately clashed with Sanders' boisterous style. And at age 33, he was fired. Wow. Boom, ready for his next challenge. So in 1969, the next year, a group of Fairchild engineers decided to start a new company, and that new company ultimately became AMD. They founded the company, uh, and they put Sanders as president. So he was. they founded it with him, put him as president. They figured this guy is a marketing genius, and we're going to need a marketing genius if we're going to compete with Intel. So all the guys from A&D and Intel all came from Fairchild, and they all worked together there. Unfortunately, Intel, since they were formed the year before, got all the VC money. And AMD got the crumbs. So AMD was like struggling just to get enough cash to get started. Now, Sanders realized the key to earning wealth was for everyone else at AMD to make a lot of money, too. So every employee at the company got stock options. He spent a lot of time taking care of all the people around him. And that goes back to this experience that he had when he got beat up. He was taking care of a friend. right? And And so he said, no matter how much pain it gives you, Take care of your friends. Take care of your employees. Well, that's an interesting lesson he learned. That's right. <laughs> My lesson would be never go outside. That's right. <laughs> but that's that's what he took from it. Now, Sanders gave the company a strong sales and marketing perspective so that even though it was behind Intel in terms of technology, it was able to, you know, to sell stuff and to make money and to grow. Now, he started the success of the company, you know, he, he always – felt that whenever the company was successful, the bonus, the uh, employees should benefit too. So he set up a bonus plan that tracked very closely to the, uh, to the revenue of the company. Now, in 1974, they had really a bad reception, uh, a recession that really broke the company. It was, it was, it was uh, disastrous for them. He didn't want to cut any employees. 1974, wow, a long time ago. He, he did not want to cut any employees, um, um, you know. So what he did... He asked the employees to work on Saturdays and not charge uh-huh. so they could get out more products faster. That was his solution. Then he, didn't, then he didn't lay anyone off, but they were able to accelerate the development of their products. Now, what really helped them, he licensed a deal 
that made AMD a second source to IBM for the Intel microprocessor. So, and so AMD started selling um, clones, basically Intel chip clones that were put in the IBM PC. But it turned out that when their clones were more successful than the Intel chips themselves because they were cheaper, Intel decided to cancel the agreement. And there was a huge court battle, and they finally settled it out of court in 1994. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, AMD then developed their own technology, the Athlon chip, and that Athlon chip was for a while superior to the Intel technology. So they were always nip and tuck. And, and the reason I brought them up today is that they have made, they, the, in the last couple of months, in, uh, AMD has released a, a, new, a, a, seven, uh, a, a new technology, which is actually superior to Intel. So I'm going to talk about the Intel versus AMD fight later in the show. So I thought featuring Sanders would be good. In 2000, Sanders recruited Hector Ruiz as president, who was then the president of Motorola, to serve as AMD's president and CEO. Ruiz succeeded Sanders in 2002. Now, Sanders' maxim is, people first, products and profit will follow. So I wonder, um, I guess, uh, with his business philosophy, it'd be interesting to talk to the people who worked for him to see what they thought of what he was doing. Yeah, that would be an interesting, get some interesting insight mm -hmm. there. But they, he's had a lot of, lo lot of loyal, loyal people who have stuck with AMD through thick and thin. So there you go. Everything you want to know about Walter Jeremiah Sanders, co-founder and longtime CEO of AMD. Hope you're paying attention because knowledge you just gleaned from that uh, segment could land you in a Stratford dining room for a free lunch uh, coming up here. So uh, we're, we're going to play the pop quiz in just a minute. Stay tuned for that. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, which is heard every Saturday on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2. You can watch us do the programming by downloading the Periscope app to your device, and you can listen to our podcast. You can find it on Apple iTunes and Podcast One. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. 
Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes. Uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. You can sit down now. I, I know it's exciting it's here. It's the end of summer. They're tired. They're behaving today. They're ready to get on the yeah, water, I know. Exactly get, right. Ready to get moving. Mm-hmm. This is not only a radio show. No. This is also a classroom of the airways. Yes. And we're going to assess whether our audience has been listening with a pop quiz. If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms. And you'll also get an A-plus for today's show. Now... I was earlier talking about Walter Jeremiah Sanders, co-founder and longtime CEO of AMD. What company fired him just before he and others formed AMD? If you know the answer to today's question, now's your chance to show us just how smart you are by picking up your phone and giving us a call. If you're dialing from west to the Rocky, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're attending a college party in Canada, it only seems appropriate that you call us on the wild card line. 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the semi-dependable international line. 877-936-39333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, indeed. Let's talk about the bad idea of the week. Okay. This is a null license plate, N-U-L-L. Droogie, it's a guy in California. That's his name. That's his online name, Droogie. You know, the article didn't have his real name. Droogie registered a vanity California license plate consisting solely of the word null, N-U-L-L, which in programming means unspecified or unspecified value. He thought, uh, well, I'll put null in there because he was thinking it would confuse the license plate readers in the DMV ticketing system ah. because he hoped it would say, oh, it's an unspecified license plate, so they would not send him a ticket. What a smart guy. This was his idea because he was a programmer. He was a California programmer, Droogie. He didn't want his real name here. But this is what happened. Instead, he got a lot of tickets. Now, he explained what, <laughs> he explained what actually happened. It turned out there was a contractor there and uh, that was actually sending out the tickets automatically. They, you know, they have all these, uh, you know, speed cams right. and red light ticket cams, and they take a picture of the license plate. Sometimes the license plate can't be read. You know, there's something wrong with it. So what they do, if they can't read the license plate number, they put null in there. It means unspecified. Oh, so no. as soon as his license plate came in as null, oh. all of these <laughs> tickets, which had been accumulating for years, were all sent to him. The first month, he got $12,000 worth of traffic tickets. Wow. And they, Boy, just, they just kept rolling in every month. This went horribly wrong, didn't it? <laughs> Oh, no. And so, and so he called up DMV, and he got the first 12000 cleared. And DMV kept saying, why don't you just change it? And he says, no, you should really change your programming. So it's but it like, doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So he's, so he's now um, still getting these, uh, these tickets, and um, I think eventually he'll change the license plate but number. Don't you think they would make him? Because a lot of places, the DMV and the RMV, 
uh, have rain over what you can and can't put on a license I know. Plate. So they so they have a list of words, you know, and usually they're profane words right. or, or like, you know, racially insensitive words that you can't put up there. But nobody thought of putting up null. No. I'm thinking they're going to add that to the list of banned words. Just think of all of the <laughs> all of the time and money wasted in this project. Yeah, but it really is fun to read about. It is. So there that's you a, go. That's the a great the, bad idea. The bad idea of the week. We don't the have null a, license place. We don't have a winner yet, so why don't you ask the question okay. once again? Earlier in the show, I talked about Walter Jeremiah Sanders, long-term, long-time CEO of AMD and also one of the co-founders. He was working at a company uh, just before he co-founded uh, um, AMD. What was the name of that company? Because they fired him because he didn't get along with the new management team. Okay. And, of course, 877-936-9333. That's the number to call. Okay, let's talk about the AMD challenge of Intel for server leadership. Now, Lisa Su, AMD's current CEO, announced the new Epic processor launch that the company has and it is that at a conference last month. And the new Epic processor has broken 80 performance records, and it's this new processor is the highest-performing processor in the segment, including, you know, all the Intel chips. The Epic 2 is 64 cores. It supports 128 threads. That means 128 commands can be executed in parallel. And it's got a PCI Generation 4 interface to the to the bus. And it's using 7 nanometer technology, which is a big deal. That's why it's uh, – and it's also because it's 7 nanometer technology, it means that it takes less power because all of the uh, transistors are smaller. Ah. So it's very, very um, power efficient. It turns out, you see, that this is going to put them way ahead of Intel. Uh, usually, chip performance goes up 15% per year. But when they were able to go down to the 7 nanometer technology, it turns out AMD got 100% improvement in their chip over last year, which was huge. Now, when running a comparison between AMD's fastest processor and Intel's highest performer, the AMD was 97% higher performance. HP tested it, and they said the performance is 88% better. And it turns out HP is going to be using the new AMD chip. Now, John, Jen Frazier at the same conference, senior director at Twitter, came on stage and said her company's critical performance needs, they need to keep energy usage down. And they said the efficiency of this new second-gen Epic processor is what attracted them to the product, so they can actually use less energy in their, in their server centers. Now, moving to 7 nanometer technology was a massive investment for AMD and a big risk. They bet the factory for this on this, and they made it happen. If you remember, Intel tried to go after 7 nanometer technology and failed, and they missed, they missed a, uh, a critical delivery. And now this year, they're just releasing 10 nanometer technology. They're, they're not going to have 7 nanometer technology out for until 2021. In addition... Intel had these security problems on their chip. Remember, they had that predictive coding where in order to go faster, they do predictive coding. Well, the predictive coding part of the Intel chip left data exposed to hacking, and so there were huge workarounds related to that. So, AM, so Intel has made a couple of major mistakes, and AMD is going to take advantage of this. Uh, so Google has adopted it. Uh, all of the big companies have adopted this AMD chip. So it looks like at this p 
point, AMD is winning the chip wars, and they're about a year ahead of Intel, which is quite significant because they've always been following Intel and never had superior technology. They had superior marketing, but now they've got superior technology. But Intel's a great company. You expect that they're, they're going to respond to this in spades in 2021. It's great to have competition. AMD competing with, EN, with Intel gives the tech sector great chips because we've got a great technical Tech, we've got a great technical competition going on, so that's good for everyone. Good job, Very AMD. Good. All right. We've got uh, somebody on the phone who would like to play our okay. contest here. Let's go to line one. This is Tom, who is calling us from Falls Church. Tom, are you there? Tom? Wait a minute. There we go. Yes, Tom, I'm there here. we go. Hey, hey. Tom. Uh, Dr. Schertz, go ahead and ask a question, yeah, please. Early in the show, we talked about Jerry Sanders, uh, co-founder and longtime CEO of AMD. What company was was he working for that it were, who fired him just before he formed AMD? Fairchild fired him. Correct. That is correct. Very, Very good. good, Tom. Hang on the phone here. We're going to send you back to Andrew. He'll take your information, and we'll send that prize right out to you. It is Saturday morning. You are listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. On the web at stratford.edu, and you can find our podcasts on Apple iTunes, Podcast One. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Let's talk about Satya Nadella. Okay. He, of course, is Microsoft CEO, and he is one of the most transformative leaders in Silicon Valley. It'll be five years since Nadella was announced as Microsoft CEO. Since taking charge... He's turned Microsoft's fortunes around, making it the most valuable company in the world for the first time since 2002. Here are Nutella's top winning rules to future-proof your business. Lead with culture. How the decisions are made and what kind of culture you do to uh, will, uh, will actually make a huge impact on the company. A winning culture means moving from a know-it-all mindset to a learn-it-all mindset. One of Nadella's first bold moves was to change the mission 
of of Microsoft from a computer on every desk in every home to a much more customer-focused aim, of which is empowering every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. Teams are encouraged to focus on passion projects and think of Microsoft not as a 42-year-old company, but as a challenger organization with a day-one behavior in its DNA. His second operating principle, act quickly, think slowly. Nadella is a long-term thinker who embraces new trends and weak signals to stay ahead of the curve. He values high-speed decision-making where where 80% confidence is enough to to act. In a VUCA world, as he calls it, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, VUCA, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, he understands that waiting for 100% certainty before making a decision is simply too slow-paced. Finally, learn-it-all beats know-it-all. In the 2000s, where Microsoft lost nearly a decade under Ballmer, it seemed to lose touch with its customers and fall into a crisis. It's like Ballmer knew everything. He knew it all. He didn't want to learn it all. In 2014, Nadella became Microsoft's new CEO and declared a new game was to be a learn-it-all company rather than a know-it-all company. And a learn-it-all company makes decisions every day New decisions every day, learning from what they, learning from experiences they had the previous day, always exploring, always experimenting. And that simple change in culture has empowered the organization to be innovative. That's a great leading strategy by Satya Nutella, their CEO at Microsoft. Now let's talk about the China tech threat. This has been an ongoing theme. I mean... Donald Trump has been talking about it, and it is, it's not really political. It's, it's been a long-term issue. In 2015, the Chinese government launched a program called Made in China 2025. And, and the plan was they wanted 10 global industries to dominate the world within 10 years. These included information technology, pharmaceuticals, robotics, automobiles, strategic manufacturers, now, there are numerous examples of the Chinese actors penetrating America, military, and corporate networks to, see, to steal secrets. In recent years, Chinese hackers stole or compromised design plans for the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter, the C-17 transport plane, the F-22 fighter jet, the Patriot missile system, and various naval platforms. A growing number of Justice Department indictments have demonstrated how state-sponsored Chinese actors have led phishing campaigns to target U.S. government agencies. These are these emails that they send out to get people to click on a link, and then they infect their machine with malware. So they've been going after U.S. government agencies as well as private sector aviation and aerospace firms. A 2018 report by the U.S.-China Economic and Security Review Commission says that supply chain risks are not just from Huawei and ZTE, this is where you, if you take products from them and put them in your supply chain, you, you, you may have corrupted things with back doors in them. But they, they say there are supply chain risks also from other manufacturers like Inspur, Legend, Capital Holdings, Lenovo, Lexmark, Lishan Power Battery Systems, Tiama, Microelectronics, TPV Technology, Singhua Holdings, and Shenzhen Libo high-tech company. These are all technology companies, and they say they are 
They, they can't be traced. If you remember a few years ago, for instance, uh, Lenovo computers had a back door in them. And, and, if you, and if that wasn't removed, you know, bad actors could get access to your computer. Products or services from these firms could present itself as a supply chain attack or failed products or compromised products in batteries, acoustic components, magnets, other things. Lenovo products are banned for use by the intelligence agencies in Australia, Canada, New Zealand, UK, and the United States since the mid-2000s when British military intelligence discovered backdoors in the Lenovo computers. A 2017 report by the IP Commission, Bipartisan IP Commission, concluded that Chinese theft of American intellectual property currently costs between $225 billion and $600 billion each year. So that is a huge problem going forward. All right, Doc, let's take a break. Okay. It is Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio. Heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD2, 103.9 FM HD2. Watch us do the show each week by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. You know, these fake Amazon reviews are a problem because there are lots and lots of fake Amazon reviews. And, in fact, companies pay people to write to write fake reviews for them. It's uh, it's becoming more and more of a problem because they, companies know that people read reviews, uh, but uh, and so they want to have good reviews. And so you, you've got to be very careful when you're looking at these reviews and making decisions. Now, for the past two years, the percentage of fake reviews has jumped between June and July. That's the month of Prime Day. Apparently, all the vendors want to get these fake reviews up there before Prime Day. In 2018, the percentage jump was 12 percent points. It went from 16 percent fake reviews in 2018 to uh, 28 percent the next year, 2019. Went from 16 to 28 percent fake reviews. That's, you know, it's a lot of reviews. Almost a quarter of, them are, of the reviews are fake. Now, FakeSpot tracks all these things, and FakeSpot predicts that, um, that, that they're going to grow by the end of this year to even more than 34 percent fake reviews on Amazon. It estimates that 90% of the bad reviews are computer-generated using machine learning to analyze 
uh, are, are computer generated and uh, Facebook is trying to use machine learning to analyze and remove these these fake reviews. Cell phone and cell phone accessories have a particularly bad record on reviews. Those fake reviews went from 16% in 2017 to 39% in 2019. To spot inauthentic reviews, fake spot says shoppers need to drill down into the reviews themselves and look at the amount of stars the product has. Don't look at necessarily the number of stars that it has, but look at what the reviews say. Now, not all reviews sound the same. Some actually have real information in them, and other ones are just boilerplate generated by, by either individuals or by bots that are doing it. Now, this is what I like to do. I, there's a, there's a, a fake, you can go to fakespot.com, www.fakespot.com. I use this, by the way. Huh. And you take you you go to the um, you go to the product that you are interested in. And there's a there's a link to that product. So copy that link in your website. Then go to fakespot.com. Paste the link in there. They will analyze all the reviews and give you a percentage of false reviews. Now it takes a long time. You know, like if there are like you know three thousand reviews, it takes a long time to do it. So what Fakespot does, they'll tell you the last time they did an analysis. And they say, we, we analyzed this for somebody else five days ago. And, and you get back the answer right away. But if you say, no, I want to know the number of fake reviews at this moment, you can click review it now. And you, and you wait maybe, you know, 10 seconds or 30 seconds. And they'll come back with the most recent stuff. And I'll tell you, this, this is actually quite, uh, quite good. I, I, before, I, by, earlier in the show, I talked about that uh, Bluetooth to FM radio converter, and I I ran because it had great reviews. So I ran uh, I ran the fakespot.com uh, test on it, and it was showing almost no fake reviews. Those were all real reviews. So this is a very good way to sort of cut through the fake review problem and just avoid products that have a lot of fake reviews. There's an issue here of uh, political bias on you know on the part of uh, you know. Google, you know, people are thinking Google is like biased in how they do the search results. Twitter is biased on what they're doing. And it really doesn't matter what <clears throat> what political persuasion you are. It's just dangerous for democracy if we've got our major IT resources as being politically biased. And that's really an issue for democracy. So this conservative watchdog group, Project Veritas, released a video of Google executives allegedly insinuating the company was manipulating its algorithms to work against Trump. Now, the clip showed a woman that Project Veritas identified as Jean Janai, who they said is Google's head of responsive, res- responsible innovation. One clip has her saying everybody got screwed over, so now how do we present it from happening again in the 2016 campaign? The article by Veritas links online posts by Jen Janai and her response to this video, and she's filmed without her consent. The video was edited. And so there's a lot of controversy with the video, but it raises a broader issue. How, how can we be certain that, these, that there is not bias in these search results or, or bias in how Twitter is doing things? I'm, I, I don't think it matters what your political persuasion is. I think you've got to be very careful because you start, democracy depends on having free flow of information. Right. So the question is, is there a way for these companies to provide sufficient transparency that everybody can feel confident that it's fair? And I would prefer that they self-regulate themselves rather than have government come in and do it. 
I mean, government, if, if we're not careful, government's going to come in here and right. start monitoring them. And I think that's dangerous, too. And then it's the Soviet Union. And then it's the Soviet Union. So I don't really want government control of these IT companies. That would be extremely dangerous. But I think we need transparency and um, and and some way to evaluate it. So maybe they could set up some sort of bipartisan working group that 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 could work with their teams to make certain that that there's not bias. I think it's really important for these companies to to, to respond but to this. It's we we're, we seem <clears throat> to be in a time where that's almost next to impossible. We've gotten so far afield here with media coverage, with with this sort of a thing. Everybody has point of view and they're not afraid to share it with you mm -hmm. and they think it's okay to do that and and you know there are certain things that should be as you said right down the middle of the road and we can't seem to get there anymore it is a problem and and the thing is the you know google is taking advantage of the internet that was developed by the government and yeah. they're and they're doing the bulk of the searches on the internet so they're controlling a huge huge, huge amount of information so the government which actually set up the internet and basically manages it through the department of commerce would have the ability and would, would have the authority to go in there and be very heavy-handed on these companies in order to force them not to be biased. I, I think that is dangerous, and yeah. I don't want that to happen. I think if these companies don't respond to these charges in a very transparent way, we're probably going to see some kind of legislation like that, and I really don't want to see yeah. that. Because anytime government gets mixed into technology, it just ruins it. So. Yeah. It's sort of a plea to these companies. Uh, you know, I'm quite certain they're they're individuals within the companies that that want to skew the results. But I think as a corporation, they shouldn't have that that policy, and they should then find a way to monitor what they're doing in a very transparent fashion. Yep. I think that's a big issue for democracy, and I hope we address it as soon as we can. Now, we also got another issue with technology. It's called face recognition, face facial recognition. I tell you, face recognition technology is moving along quickly. It and with all of the surveillance cameras combined with face recognition, it's almost going to be possible for the federal government to track what people are doing. I mean, privacy will virtually be gone. And if you go to Facebook, you know they can use Facebook. They can use face recognition to you know to scan all the pictures, and they can identify you even if even if you haven't been tagged in the picture. Uh, and then, you know, Google's got very sophisticated face recognition. And so I think – and now ICE is using face recognition as people are coming into the country to kind of monitor people. So here's, here's another case where the technology has progressed so fast that regulations have not followed. And, and, and the thing is Congress needs to really deal with when – can we use face recognition? How should it be done? How should it be implemented? How can privacy be be protected? I mean, Patrick Leahy, Democrat from Vermont, um, he said Americans don't expect and don't, really don't consent to be surveilled just because they get a license or an ID card. I mean, so, you know, so government will have they'll have surveillance videos and, you know, DMVs will have it in all government offices. You combine that with face ID, you can track wh wherever people are going. And they and they do this in a lot of um, countries where they where they want to track everybody. I know I was in Monaco. They and they have surveillance cameras everywhere, and they track every single license plate in Monaco, so they know exactly almost where every car is going, and and they do real time tracking of all the cars. Now, 
we've reached a point where they can do real tri- real-time tracking of people using face recognition. Now, a coalition of civil rights advocates, including America's Civil Liberties Union, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, wrote to the Committee on Homeland Security asking for the Department of Homeland Security to immediately suspend its use of facial recognition in anything they're doing. So Congress must figure out how to limit this technology. And I think it's got to be a bipartisan approach to this because technology is moving is moving too fast. And, and, and legislation is not keeping up with it. So that's just another small example. I mean, the first example was on how do you control search results and access on the Internet so there's not bias. The second thing is how do you keep face recognition from destroying our privacy? Then the third issue I wanted to bring up was the use of artificial intelligence. AI with machine learning, what's happening is uh, we're, we're using machine learning for everything now. And it turns out the problem with machine learning is that if you give it a massive data set, suppose a, um, like suppose a, um, a company has a hiring practice for the last 10 years of only hiring, saying they hire mostly men, not women. But they, they want to use ma- machine learning to figure out how to identify the best employees. So they just dump this all this data in, and, the, and, the, and using machine learning, it cranks it out, and they identify who the best employees were and what their features were. And it's going to turn out that because there was bias <laughs> over the last 10 years, that the machine learning will have bias embedded in it. So how can you detect bias embedded in machine learning where the machine learning has been done with you know, biased data sets. This is a real, a real issue. And so there was a, a, a recent tool that was developed by researchers at Penn State and Columbia University where they're using artificial intelligence to detect discrimination. And so and that, that, the example I gave you was where they would discriminate on race or gender or ethnicity and hiring if they had flawed data. And so these guys developed this technique to analyze it to try to get at how much discrimination there is in AI programs, machine learning programs. Listen, we love all your emails. The, the, the hour just went by so fast. We love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. And go to the Stratford University website at www.stratford.edu. Check out all those programs in computer science, uh, software engineering, healthcare, nursing, culinary arts, hospitality, business, accounting. And tell them you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.